Before I begin, I want to acknowledge where I am situated, which is on the traditional Anishinaabe and Haudenosaunee territory. To acknowledge this territory is to recognize its longer history, one predating the establishment of the earliest European colonies. It is also to acknowledge this territory's significance for the indigenous peoples who lived and continue to live upon it and whose practices and spiritualities were tied to the land and continue to develop in relationship to the territory and its other inhabitants today. I recognize my own history and how it places me in the structure that is still heavily influenced by colonialism. And as you listen to this series on black experiences in Kingston, I hope that you place yourself on your land and acknowledge what it might feel like for non-settlers to navigate the systems in place. Hello. My name is Tiana Edwards. My pronouns are she, her. Welcome to my podcast, Kingston, The Black Experience. I'm so happy you're here. This is the very first episode. This episode won't be like the following because I don't have a guest today. I'm using this episode to give you a bit of context on how we got here. For those who don't know me, I live in Kingston, Ontario. I was born and raised in Kingston. I left for about a decade and returned eight years ago to settle down, grow our family. I live here with my husband and our two daughters. This podcast is a product of a part-time master's degree in the cultural studies program at Queen's University. I've been completing my degree while working full-time. I work as an equity, diversity, and inclusion coordinator for the Yellow House um, Student Center for Inclusion. It's been a journey to get here. I need you to understand a few things before we dive into the remaining episodes. So let's start off by talking about the reason why we've landed on this podcast. This podcast is for my major project, for my master's degree. So initially, you know, it's to fight the narrative of transience and invisibility of the black community in Kingston. We live here, black folks live here, and it's about time that our stories are accessible. Second, it is something that happened a couple of years ago, actually three years ago. In the spring of 2020, during the height of the Black Lives Matter movement, I used my personal blog, keep up with Kingston, to speak out on what it feels like to be black in Kingston. I can link the blog post in the notes, but it didn't shine a wonderful light on what it feels like to be black. It talked a lot about, um, you know, feeling isolated, uh, the double consciousness, which we'll talk about in these episodes that shows up, and what it really feels like, yeah, to be a young black woman in Kingston. This story received more than 20,000 clicks and multiple responses via comments and emails from black people in the community and outside of the community curious about moving here. Many shared and commented on how the post validated their experiences. Black folks often actually Google, are there black people in Kingston before they move here? 
And now what happens is the Black in Kingston post shows up and folks just reach out to me. I've heard from people moving um, from all parts of the world, different parts of the United States, Canada on a regular basis. My blog post from three years ago was a small example of the impact of black storytelling. That's just one story. I feel strongly that a podcast with a variety of stories and experiences will be even more meaningful and its impact far more reaching. So that's why we're here. I'm really excited to use this platform to create an uh, accessible way to hear from black folks who've lived in Kingston and perhaps have moved away. Before I begin sharing these special interviews, I'm going to share a spoken word that I created for a research project in 2021. It was on abolition and dreaming guided by a wonderful professor at Queen's, Lisa Gunther. Our group explored abolition and drunk together. At the end of our time, we reflected, well, I reflected personally on what it meant to me. The term abolition, for those unfamiliar, is traditionally known as the act of ending a system in history. It refers to the end of slavery and the Atlantic slave trade. It's evolved to meaning the end of a practice in general. Within the context of dreaming, I adopted my own definition of abolition as an act of liberation and freedom and took the spirit when writing and recording the spoken word. Embedded in the spoken word are examples of how it felt growing up in Kingston and the journey I've been on to find a sense of belonging in Kingston. So when you're listening to the spoken word, of course it's very personal and reflective of my personal experience. But at the time, um, for context, it was 2021, so we were still in the height of uh, pandemic restrictions. We were still very isolated. And so a chunk of this was really just actually dreaming of what it would feel like. Now I feel like I'm on the other side of, of what you'll hear is at the end of the spoken word of you know finding people in Kingston and being, being in community with um, Black folks in Kingston. So here it is, a reflection on Black abolition dreaming. Abolition dream mapping. Abolition, what does that mean to me? To me, it means ending the need to meet the expectations of the dominant culture. This release gives space to dream and dreaming propels change and change encourages others to dream too. Dreaming looks different to me now. As a kid, I dreamt about fitting in. Being the only black girl in a small white town adds a complex layer to one's identity. You grow up measuring yourself against the dominant culture's expectations. And you don't realize it, but you're internalizing what you're supposed to sound like, look like. Memories of my childhood are joy mixed with an endurance of microaggressions. If someone calls me articulate, is that a compliment or an insult? You're so pretty for a black girl. Does that mean that people like me aren't pretty? Being the only black girl in a small white town, I didn't see grown-ups like me in our community to understand what I might want to be. My mentors were on TV. The exclusion of my identity caused me to internalize the lack of representation as a reflection of my worth. 
It meant choosing assimilation to fit in, brushing off jokes and joining in, so that people wouldn't feel bad for the only black girl. Reflecting as an adult, I see how dangerous this was, allowing white kids to belittle me without consequence. Nobody corrected their ignorance. I moved away to a city where I could blend in and find community and promised myself I would never be back and never be the only black girl in a small white town again. Until five years ago. I moved back and I found myself in situations that young me would have tolerated but adult me had no time for. Setting boundaries and leaving toxic friendships behind. Returning to a place that always made me feel boxed in and carving a place for myself was the beginning of my abolition. It was the end of my tolerance and assimilation. I remember a conversation I had with my dad once when I said, why does it feel like black people don't live here? He said, we do. We're just hiding. Hiding because the thought of being visible and alone is draining. Realizing that if I didn't try to make it in this town, being my full black self, how could I expect anyone else like me to settle and be seen here? To convince myself that this is a good decision, I dug in. I dug into the community experience and I showed up. No more hiding. My abolition became visibility without shame and fear. I remained present. And in 2020, when our community looked down at the U.S. for treatment towards marginalized communities, I took the opportunity to call it out. I held a mirror up to everyone who felt it was an American problem, and I named it. I named the reason why I ran away. I named why black people are here and hiding. And 24,000 people clicked and read and commented and shared, and then we weren't hiding anymore. These are a few comments from readers. Your blog connects this broader atrocity to our commun local community and invites us to consider how we think about and see race, how we can be allies instead of bystanders, and how we can create a more just and loving society in our own backyards. I am a black man who grew up in Kingston in the 90s. I struggle today with PTSD and anxiety from the racial violence I experienced as a young child and teenager. I'm illustrating a book. That place was a nightmare for us as kids, and so I can't express how many, how happy it makes me to see a campaign like this come together in Kingston. I have two young sisters being raised there, and no child, woman, or man should ever have to endure the kinds of experiences we had growing up there. I look forward to connecting. Thank you, thank you, change is gonna come. Love. As a black biracial kid who was born and raised in Kingston, thank you for writing about this and please push to show more of yourself in your work. Representation matters. I live in Toronto now, but I would have killed to have known and seen people like you making work when I lived in Kingston. I know there has to be so many black and biracial kids who feel the same way. It is such an isolating place. And I always relate to being the brunt of so many jokes, being the other. This opened the door for black people living here to find me, vent to me, share with me. I couldn't believe how many of us having the exact same feelings. Navigating the exact same trauma. It was comforting and maddening all at once to see how many could relate. A year later, I found community. 
I've used this platform to spotlight the incredible black people that choose to live here and what they are doing to make it amazing. Today, I was on a call with 30 other black people discussing community care and future play dates so that our kids don't feel alone the same way some of us did. We talked about hosting black block parties in this very white town. We talked about our favorite hair and skin products. But most of all, we talked about how happy we were to see each other. How comforting it is to know we aren't alone. How reassuring it is that we don't have to carry our burdens in isolation. Black people are here shining through the resilience that comes with navigating this town. We are doing it together. Not hiding. Staying. Not leaving. And some of us are even dreaming. You've made it this far. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for coming on this journey with me. I think it's important to begin the series with a foundation of my perspectives so that you know where I'm coming from when I have these conversations with other black folks. If you've listened to this whole episode, again, I wanna thank you. Please join in as I share interviews with black folks in the community to capture a sense of the Kingston black experience. Once again, my name is Tiana Edwards, your host of Kingston, the black experience. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. I really appreciate you listening and I look forward to you joining next time. If you're on Instagram, you can find me at Kingston Black Experience for the latest updates. Feel free to send me a DM there or you can email me at 18tre at queensu.ca. Until next time, take care.